Julia was helping to clear out one of her clients' homes this, uh, two weeks ago and was gifted one of these Roomba robot vacuums. And so I was always interested in one of these things, but I would never go out and pay the money for it. But since it's a gift, then of course I'm going to give it a go because I like technology. So I quickly discovered that all you have to do is push that button right on the top and it just starts moving and it crisscrosses and it'll go vacuum for like an hour on our main floor and crisscrossing, crisscrossing, it goes under cabinets, it goes around chairs, it knows not to go downstairs. And then I discovered another option. You can download an app and you can schedule it. So now every Tuesday night at midnight, every Thursday night at midnight and every Sunday afternoon, you know, it goes and does the cleaning and vacuuming for us and our house has never been cleaner. Partly because it's been vacuumed three times a week. But the other reason is, is because I know it's going to be vacuumed. I have to clear the floor. So every night, or every Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday, we're picking up all the bags off the floor, picking up all the tables and throwing them on the, on the, on the, on the uh, picking up all the chairs and throwing them on the table. And so uh, now our, our home is clean and our home life is much more enjoyable. This new rhythm that has been forced upon us because I've programmed this uh, vacuum has reframed how our home life functions and has made our life much more enjoyable. Now, I thought, if we're willing to do that for our house, how much would we do that for our spiritual lives? What kind of rhythms do we set in place that help nurture our relationship with God, but also nurture our emotional and relational health? So we're nearing the end of this Emotionally Healthy Living message series where we've been looking at the importance of paying attention to our emotions and how God works through them to help us become this best version of ourselves as we look to Jesus. In these final two weeks of the series, we're going to look at specific practices and rhythms that we can uh, embed into our life that help us pay attention to God and to our emotional health. Now, many of you have probably come across Stephen Covey's urgent versus important matrix. And it's often applied to time management at work to help you improve your effectiveness. And it can also be applied to our lives as well. Now, one category in the matrix is up in the top left corner there. It's called the urgent but not important. No, important but not urgent box. And these are the things that are important to do, but we often don't make the time for them because there's all these other urgent things that creep into our lives, like work. And uh, like going shopping and taking care and feeding yourself or like fixing your car when it breaks down or finding out where you put your phone or something as simple as just waking up. These are practices that, but there are practices that make the biggest difference in our lives. They're important, but we often don't see them as urgent things to include. So they always get pushed to the side. Now, now Parker Palmer is a sociologist and he um, focuses on education and spirituality and social change. And he tells a story of Great Plains farmers who, who would, in wintertime, take ropes. And as they head out the back door, they would tie, leave a rope coming out the back door and to go to the barn. Because in the wintertime, when there's a blizzard condition, they could actually get lost in their own backyard and in a complete whiteout and freeze to death right in their backyard because they couldn't find their way home. So there's these ropes that they would use to help them find their way home. They serve as anchors during a blizzard. You know that we too can set up ropes in our lives that serve as anchors for finding our way during blizzards in life. 
And we're going to talk about, talk about two particular ones today. This is one of daily office. Let's see if I can do this. And one that is called Sabbath. And these are things that we can find illustrated in Scripture for us to form anchors in our lives that help us attend to emotional health, that help us uh, connect with God. And bonus thing, too, with these uh, ropes is that you get to... Oh, is there an image of a guy with ropes here? Oh, yeah. The other bonus is that you get ripped like this dude on the screen if you do these rhythms. So we have these two things, Sabbath that serve as the weekly rhythm for us and daily office that serves as our daily rhythm for us. Now, some of you have spent time in the Christian tradition, particularly the evangelical tradition, and there's probably this immediate connection that you're making with the practices of daily devotion or, or quiet time. And these are certainly helpful practices for us. And so continuing this analogy of the ropes, if we have ropes of Sabbath and the ropes of daily office, there are individual strands in the rope that help us form those anchors. They can be practices like daily devotionals or, or quiet time. They could be prayer or scripture reading or, or the practice of fasting or Lectio Divina, which is another form of, of engaging with scripture. There's scripture memorization. There's, uh, there's uh, giving of your resources, as we've just done through the giving of our tithes and offerings. There's serving, like many of our adults who are helping out with children right now at this moment. And so there's all these different strands that make up the ropes. And so today we're going to talk about the ropes themselves first. And then next week we're going to talk a little bit more about the specific practices that we can engage with. And the heart of daily office and Sabbath is not to add more work to our lives, but to add important work that gives life to the rest of our work and to the rest of our lives. And the heart of these rhythms is nurturing this attitude of surrender to and trust in God. Next week, we're going to look at these specific practices or the strands of the rope, if you may, that we can incorporate into these rhythms. Now, one of the Ten Commandments that God gives to Moses is to keep Sabbath holy. Now, traditionally, keeping the Sabbath meant ceasing from work for a 24-hour period of time. And to keep something holy means to set it apart. It looks different than the other six days. And allowing this one day to frame the rest of the week. Tish Harrison uh, Warren writes in her helpful book, The Liturgy of the Ordinary, about how children need to practice rest, just like they need to practice how to walk and how they practice talking and how to practice running. Children need to be taught how to rest. And if you've been a parent, you'll know that if you put together a nighttime routine, and we just did this with our last foster child last year, and every night we would do the same routine for him. We'd put him in his sleep jumper, and he would know that it's time and, and instantly go to sleep after we did a number of different things. Uh, but it would be the same routine that would teach him how to rest. And she says, if rest is formed through habits then so is restlessness. These habits of rest or restlessness form us over time so that one sliver of rest shapes the rest of our lives. A weekly rhythm of Sabbath is about practicing rest that forms us. And in our culture of efficiency and production, the author Wendell Berry comments that there will come a time when people will either live as creatures or live as machines. Live as creatures or live as machines. Sabbath is something God designed in creation, 
and demonstrated himself in resisting the temptation for limitless production that actually helps us to become more fruitful. Think about it. If the God of the universe, who is unlimited in power and unlimited in resource, chose to withhold his creative output for a 24-hour period, what makes us think that we as his creatures could function otherwise? Yet we're always tempted to do it. For the Jews, the Sabbath occurred on the seventh day of the week, and it was a regular reminder of the creation uh, uh, narrative in Genesis 1 and 2 that we heard read, and of, of the Exodus, where God delivered Israel from Egyptian captivity. And so Sabbath, along with circumcision and these food laws, were markers, like national markers for the Jewish people to, amongst their contemporaries. And we also heard re the reading from Mark's Gospel, where the Pharisees throw Jesus some shade when he and his disciples are seen picking heads of grain as they're walking through a grain field on the Sabbath. They accuse Jesus for offending the Sabbath law because they're harvesting grain, which is considered work, according to Jewish custom. Jesus responds to their challenge, saying that actually humans aren't meant to be confined to the Sabbath. But Sabbath was actually a gift to women and men so that they could flourish as human beings. The point, in other words, of Sabbath is not to not work. The point of Sabbath is to not work for a purpose. And that purpose is to reconnect with our Creator and to engage in activities that bring rest and refreshment to our souls, to our bodies, and to our relationships. So Sabbath for the Jews was this national marker that spoke of a freedom to come, this hope of a great day when God would finally deliver Israel from pagan oppression. But the Pharisees had turned this Sabbath practice into this badge of honor, a mark of righteousness of a faithful Jew, and missed the point of the Sabbath, which was to help Jews live flourishing lives in a way that was counter to their culture. So that happened back then. What does Sabbath look like now in our day and age? Sabbath is setting apart a 24-hour period of the week to do non-productive work. It's setting aside your paid work and unpaid work. Maybe it's your studies if you're a student, or maybe it's your normal routines of productivity if you're a stay-at-home stay parent, or maybe you're retired. And it's just simply to rest. Now, rest isn't just simply like lying in your bed for the whole day watching Netflix. It's holistic rest. It's physical, but it's also psychological and spiritual and relational. For me, how I practice Sabbath shifts a bit each week, depending on the other demands of my schedule. That's how I've just chosen to do it. But generally, I set aside Friday as my day of Sabbath, where I don't take appointments and I don't answer emails, generally unless there's an emergency, or work on my sermon if I'm preaching that week. And even if the message is incomplete by Friday, I'll park it and let it sit, rather than feel the pressure to have it all buttoned up by the end of the week. And usually I'll wake up in the morning and take care of what needs to be taken care of around the house and then go for a longer bike ride because I like to spend time outside. And that refreshes me and that allows me to pray and think about things in ways that I normally wouldn't be able to, to do. And that exercise gives me a reason to take a nap in the afternoon. Maybe it's 15 minutes, maybe it's half an hour, that's all I need. And then, and then there's stuff to be done around the house. For me, I'm a kind of person who actually likes tinkering, right? So if there's a project around the house, then I'll say, 
oh, I don't feel the need to do it, but if I'll say, well, will this bring me joy? Will this bring me life? Then I'll say, okay, I'll do it. And, but I won't feel the pressure that if I don't complete it, that it's no, not a big deal. So sometimes there'll be some reading for enjoyment, and sometimes there's noodling on the piano. And lately I've been cooking more in that family, so I'll look up a recipe and try out a new recipe. So sometimes that 24-hour period begins on a Friday morning, and other times it begins on Friday afternoon, because lately I've been uh, volunteering at Evans School on Friday mornings, but now that's changed with summer vacation. And so Friday evenings and Saturday mornings might be family activity time, so that's part of the Sabbath. And sometimes my Sabbath in my mind begins on Thursday evening if I don't have Thursday evening meetings. And so it goes from Thursday evening to Friday afternoon. So it shifts. As you can see, Sabbath is rather fluid for me depending on the work and what happens in the family. But the goal is the same. It's 24 hours of disconnecting with paid or unpaid work, those responsibilities, and, and to do things that bring life and help me attend to my relationship with God and with others. And for you, Sabbath may include Sunday worship, where there's rhythm of letting go of our control of our schedule and accomplishing things on our terms. And that we can do that even with our spiritual lives. This means that we're not always choosing the exact podcast or sermon of our favorite preacher or favorite worship music that we want, want to listen to, but it's allowing God to speak to us through the structured worship of gathering with other Jesus followers on a Sunday morning like we have this morning. And in particular, we're using a different contemplative musical style of Tizay, where we allow this rhythm of rest and repetition and reflection to form us in ways that we wouldn't otherwise choose for ourselves. We sang, you know, bless the Lord my soul who leads me into life. We were saying that repeatedly. And we need to tell our souls that. That's really the heart of, of Psalm 103. It's like, bless the Lord, soul. Come on, soul. Don't you get it? <laughs> Remember, for, forget all this stuff. I know your brain's going and you, all the stuff that you need to do. Come on, soul. Bless the Lord. Remember who leads you into life. It's the living God. And that's why we repeat it, which is kind of uncomfortable. It's like, oh, well, we sang this 10 times already. Come on, how many more times do we need to sing? It's because we forget. <laughs> we default into functioning on our own strength. And that's why we do things together. In our achievement-oriented culture and our consumer-oriented culture, that can creep into our spirituality. Or we come to Sunday worship service and we're hoping to get something out of it. If we just had the right attitude or if we hear the right message or if we get into the right music. If it happens to match our preferences. But instead, we can let that go and trust God's Spirit to meet us where we're at through the elements of the service together. In a few moments, we're going to confess together. We're going to declare words of assurance together. Maybe it'll be a little bit different today. But we're doing that together. We're going to come to the table together to remember where our hope in life and death comes from. And we're going to, we've been singing and praying together. These are rhythms that form us and help us to surrender and find rest in God. That's the Sabbath. This weekly Sabbath informs our daily rhythms. In the Jewish mind, the day begins in the evening. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but in the creation account in Genesis, you see it shows up. God separates the light from the darkness and then on the first day, and we're told, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. 
For Jews, they count the day beginning in the evening. Each day begins with rest and sleep. For it's in rest and in sleep, that's where we stop working and God does his work in renewing us. And it's from that rest that we have the resource to do the work in our lives that begins in the morning. It's in our sleep that our muscles completely relax and our brain ceases from conscious activity. And it's in rest that our mouths end up opening and spit drool leaks onto our pillow. We're not in control, but God is doing something in that rest. And God prepares us for the day ahead. This daily rhythm of rest frames their daily rhythm of how we do daily office. And first off, let me clarify what daily office is not. It's not a daily intake of Michael Scott memes. <laughs> daily office is not hopping on Netflix. As we read through scripture, we can begin seeing examples of how people found daily rhythms to engage with God. There's David in Psalm 119, 164, when he says he praises the living God seven times a day. The number could have been an accurate number, but the number of seven in, in Scripture is also figurative, saying continuously, it's perfect, it's whole. Kind of reminds us of Paul in Thessalonians saying, pray without ceasing. So there's this continuous prayer through the day that David is reminding us of. In the book of Daniel, we're told that Daniel is... Uh, goes and prays three times a day. And that's what he gets in trouble with when people who are jealous of his influence ask the king to set a law to prevent everyone from praying to no one except the king. But he, three times a day, he would get down on his knees, open the windows, and pray. In Luke 5.16, which we also heard read earlier, we're told Jesus has a routine of withdrawing to pray, likely following the Jewish customs of praying at set times in the day. And after Jesus' resurrection in Acts chapter 3, we're told that the disciples continue to pray at certain times of the day where Peter and John go to the temple to participate in the third hour prayer service. So in the life of the ancients, there was this rhythm to each day where people would nurture their connection at routine times rather than what I think most of us do, at least I have done in the past and lean towards, is we stock up spiritually on one day of the week, like gathering on a Sunday or listening to some worship music or listening to your favorite preacher on, on, a, on, a, on a podcast. We stock up and then the rest of the day, week, we kind of leak spiritually until we hit the next Sunday and we get our boost and then we leap and then we leak back down the next six days. But it happens on a daily basis too. We do our quiet time or daily devotional and that's our like injection for the day, and then we slowly leak through the rest of the day because that's what we really we have to do. What if we approached it differently? When I graduated college, I helped my best friend start a DJ production company and get it off the ground. And so our days would often look like this. We wake up at like 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning, then we go drive to the all-you-can-eat sushi place in Vancouver, and then we'd stuff ourselves silly and, uh, and then start working at like 1 or 2 o'clock until like 9 o'clock. And then if we had a gig that night, we'd go and set up and tear her down and we'd be home at 2 a.m., go to sleep and wake up and redo the whole thing. One meal for the whole day. Not the best habit, but when you're young, you can survive on that. Nutritionists actually say it's better to eat five to seven small meals throughout the day rather than two to three big meals because it levels out the sugar rushes in your body and how, 
and the crashes as well. And I wonder if we can apply the same principle to our spiritual life as well. Daily office is about having this daily rhythm to stop and to be with God at regular times in the day. It's the secret to this continued and easy familiarity with God throughout the day. Now, different tr Christian traditions have created rhythms that we can draw upon. The Anglicans have the common book of prayer, book of common prayer, where there are four set short prayer times for daily prayer. One in the morning, one at noon, one in the evening called Vespers, and then one at night. And then we have Benedict in the 6th century, who is often considered the founder of modern monasticism. He wrote the rules of St. Benedict and that have influenced this modern template of how monks practice work and praying at seven points throughout the day. So if you went to a Benedictine monastery today, you would probably just join in to these practices that have been around for 1,400 years. You'll see monks incorporating work and prayer in all that they do. Benedict said this, to work is to pray, and to pray is to work. So there isn't the separation that we like to do in compartmentalizing everything. It's integrated. The word office comes from the Latin word opus, which is Latin for work. And for the early church, the daily, daily office was the work of God, and nothing was to interfere with that priority. Daily office is this practice of setting aside time each day to surrender that moment and to pay attention to God through prayer and scripture. And although it can be part of quiet time or devotional practices, it differs a little bit in that it's not about getting filled up for the day. Daily office is about pausing at moments in the day to pay attention to someone through fixed moments of the day. Daily office is fixed in several senses. It's, there's fixed times of the day. So we interrupt the rhythms of our day to remind ourselves of who's really in control, that our lives are oriented around the Son, Jesus Christ, and that our life is really measured and shaped by the life and the grace of Jesus Christ himself, not our accomplishments, and not the whims of our calendar appointments, and not the demands of time, on our time. There's a fixed uh, time, but there's also fixed content. You know, most of us, I think, pray based on what we're feeling, or whatever we're stressed out about. But there's this gift in praying prayers and scriptures that are set for us. Sometimes that comes through in singing, like these today choruses. We can allow scriptures that we didn't choose and prayers that we didn't write to help us to pray in ways that, we, uh, that form us and move us into deeper communion with God. So beginning in two weeks, after we close out this series, we're going to do a lectionary-based message series during the summer, where we allow this fixed rhythm of reading scripture to inform what is preached on a Sunday morning, rather than just doing book-based or thematic messages, as we have been doing for most of the year. It's this rhythm of allowing scripture to inform us and trusting that as we read scripture, as it's set out for us to speak to us, that God is big enough and good enough to do that and that we could become people of the book. Uh, one of the gifts of working with my, the senior pastor from my previous church, Ken Shigematsu, is how he lives this out. And I noticed one thing when I was working with him uh, in, during meetings, he, he always would wear like a Timex watch, like, you know, a simple watch. 
not a smartwatch, and, and it would go off at alarms during meetings. And I asked him what he would do with that. And, and for him, he said, I easily get distracted. And so I just set my alarm to go off at regular intervals during the day. And that's my reminder just to, oh, connect with God, to be attentive to what he's doing. And I mean, he might be in the middle of a meeting, but at least that triggers him. Okay, God, what are you, what are you doing right now? The importance of daily office is not, uh, is the regularity. It's not how long you do it or what you do during that practice. And here's how I've engaged in it for my own self. You know, earlier on, I would read um, McShane's Bible reading plan for most, for many years, and that would allow me to read through all of Scripture in one year and read through Psalms and Proverbs twice through the year. But that was a lot to get through, and I feel like, oh, man, if I miss something, then I can't get on. And so uh, more recently, I, this is probably my go-to resource. It's called Seeking God's Face, and it's a lectionary-based uh, 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 devotional scripture, it's mostly scripture, and, and so there's set scripture selections that you read through uh, each day, and then uh, it begins with a psalm, that the psalm, one psalm that is continuous for an entire week, and then it ends with a blessing that is the same for every day of the week. And those two points are anchors that allow me to think and reflect. I'll pick a word from the psalm. Earlier in the, in the week, I'll, memorize, I'll try and memorize the psalm, and then through the day, when, when I'm triggered, then I'll, I'll, I'll pick one word to reflect on for the day as my connection with God and to remember and being attention to what God is speaking to me through those moments. There is a pr uh, prayer of examine, which is another practice uh, structure set up by Ignatius of Loyola, who's the founder of the Jesuit Catholic tradition. And I'm just going to invite you to try this even right now. Maybe think back through the service so far or maybe through the morning. And uh, just pause right now, and what's often helpful is, is that you keep your feet on the ground and sit up straight and, and uh, close your eyes and just say, number one, become aware of God's presence. Say, God, you are here. I'm here to meet with you. And sometimes it helps just to breathe in over five seconds and exhale over five seconds. As you're breathing in, you're saying, I'm taking in this awareness of you at work and meeting me right now, God. And as you're exhaling, you're exhaling the things that are on your mind and distracting you or burdening you. And you just think about the day or the service so far. What's one word that you can be thankful for that is, or that has caught your attention? And just meditate and reflect on that word or the character of God. The next thing to do is just pay attention to what you're feeling. Ignatius said that we detect the presence of the Spirit of God in the movement of our emotions through the day so far, or through the service, or even now, what emotions are you feeling? Just name them. What's God saying through those feelings? And as you're thinking about that, just 
pray from that moment, that one feature of the day. Give it to God. Ask him to speak to you through it. And the last thing you can do is just think about what's coming ahead in the afternoon or this next day. What challenges or joys do you anticipate? Conversations that you might have. What feelings are coming as you think about those? As you name them, just invite God's guidance and wisdom and help. Jesus, we thank you that you are ever-present with us and that you are ever-leading us to connect with the living God, the creator of the universe, and the one who cares deeply for us. Forgive us for distracting ourselves or thinking that we are better masters of our destiny than you are. I pray for WCF and for all of us here gathered that we would learn to benefit from these rhythms that you have given to us for our benefit, that we might flourish, that we might be a blessing, and that we might become more like you, which would make us more like our true selves. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.